Let's read the text for today from Matthew chapter 13. This is 44 to 46 on page 819 in the Pew Bibles. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. We come again, Heavenly Father, to the words of Jesus. We want to understand them and apply them to our lives so that we also might discover great things and remember how wonderful that the treasure of the gospel is to us, better than anything in the whole world. Help us to understand these things and to do them in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not usually a fan of daytime TV, but when you have COVID or the flu or something else, what else can you do? What else can you do? And what do you note if you turn it on, which I don't do very often? You note so many shows about possessions, things that are being bought and sold, things that are being pawned, things found in storage spaces, things that are being valued, the things that people have thought that was just a piece of junk that turns out to be a priceless treasure. Seemingly our culture is obsessed with things and we don't always see the value of those things, do we? We place a very high price tag on things that are really worthless and we throw away or we keep away things that are really quite valuable. It's very odd. And here in this pair of parables, these Back-to-back parables, Jesus shows us what is really valuable. He shows us the supreme value of his kingdom, the surpassing worth of belonging to him and therefore being in that kingdom. And he describes for us, he describes it for us in these two different kinds of ways. He describes it for us in terms of a man who finds treasure hidden in a field and then in terms of a man who finds an immensely valuable pearl. And again, we have two parables, side by side, back to back, making much the same point, but not quite the same point. And what is the point? Is the point that God wants me to be rich? Is the point that God wants me to know it's okay to spend my life looking for hidden treasure? Is the point that God says it's ethically okay to buy someone else's land knowing full well that there's something in there that you'll get when you own it? Or none of the above. Both these parables really make this same point. That the kingdom of heaven is so valuable, so immensely valuable, It's worth sacrificing everything you have in order to be part of it. 
Many of you will know the name of Jim Elliott, the missionary who lost his life in the cause of the gospel in Ecuador in 1956. And you will know his words. They're so well known. They're so apt here. He said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's the message of the parables. I've got three observations to make from them this morning and then we'll conclude. The first one is that both of these men make an unforeseen discovery. An unforeseen discovery. Now this farm labourer, I presume it's a farm labourer, who stumbled on the buried treasure in the field wasn't actually looking for that treasure. He wasn't searching for treasure. He was not one of those you see on the beach with a metal detector looking for lost coins and lost jewels. He's not Indiana Jones raiding caves or temples. He's just going about his daily work. By all accounts, it seems, he's a simple farm labourer working on the land, digging in a field and suddenly and quite unexpectedly he makes this amazing discovery of treasure. Now in these days, in those days I should say, before banks or safety deposit boxes or anything like that, the best way to keep your valuables safe was to go out in your backyard and bury them. Maybe your grandparents did that. Maybe you still do it. If you suddenly had to flee your home because of fire or invasion or some kind of trouble, you could come back at a future time and only you know where you've buried the treasure and you dig it up again as long as you remember where it was you put it. That's the story here, perhaps. That forms the common background to this parable. Now imagine this man's surprise. He's digging and he strikes something solid. He can't believe his good fortune. It's a dream come true for this man. Suddenly and expectantly, he found something he wasn't looking for. That's kind of the opposite situation with regard to the merchant, to the dealer in precious stones, who we are told actually, finally found what he was looking for. The pearl of great price. He always knew that it was there. He always knew that this pearl must have existed somewhere. This wonderful, beautiful pearl. It must be somewhere. And now he's found it. And it's so exquisite that he must have it. Even though he's going to have to sell everything he owns in order to purchase it. You see, both men in different ways make an amazing discovery. They find treasure, but it's earthly treasure, not heavenly treasure. Let's think about that for a moment. There's a treasure to be found in Jesus and in the Gospel. Do you know, do you realise that there are riches in Christ that cannot be found anywhere else? Think about them for a moment. We could think about them for an hour or more. A pardon for sin, peace with God, power to live, power to live by the very power of God, the very Holy Spirit living in us, protection from evil, 
the presence of God in your life, purpose and meaning to your existence, not to mention all that's ahead. All that and much more, much, much more, is found in Christ. Have you discovered those treasures? Do you count those treasures? Riches untold. You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, said Paul, and there he means the generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what grace means. It's just overwhelming generosity, God's generosity to us. You know the grace, the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ, says Paul, that though he was rich, yet he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That's the buried treasure, isn't it? The world looks at the cross and doesn't see anything worth at all in it, of no value. Last week we heard that the word of the cross is foolishness to the world, but that doesn't mean it's devoid of wealth to us or of worth. The treasure is buried in the cross and can't be seen unless it's discovered in some way. That's just what happened to Paul on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. He wasn't looking for the kingdom. He wasn't wanting to be a follower of Jesus. He didn't see any beauty in Jesus to desire him. He didn't put any value on Jesus whatsoever. The reason he was going to Damascus was to try and stamp out these Christians. He was breathing threats against the people of God. And yet on that day... On that road to Damascus, he made a great discovery. And in Philippians chapter 3, he describes what it was like for him afterwards, thinking back to that day on the road to Damascus, speaking in the past tense. This is what he says, whatever I had, whatever gain I had, whatever, whatever thing I had, I consider it now as loss. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. He was an academic, studied under the best teachers of the law. He had prestige. He had responsibility. He had pride. He had a lot going for him. But whatever he says, he says, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss and count it as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. There's a treasure in Jesus. Can you say with the hymn writer, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. What do you count as treasure? And if all earthly things were lost to you by fire or by flood, would you still be rich because you had this treasure in him? That leads into my second point, that this unforeseen discovery gives rise to an unmatched desire. These two men have a similar experience, but they are so different in many ways. Uh, For a start, they come from different parts of society and wouldn't normally have anything to do with one another. Uh, Pearl merchants don't go fossicking in fields for 
buried treasure and farmers working with picks don't go to the great commercial centres of the world in search of treasure. They live in different worlds but they have something in common, don't they? They both sold everything they had to get their hands on this treasure. There's no mixed portfolio here. They put all their eggs into one basket, so to speak. See what it says in verse 45? The farmer in his joy goes and sells everything he has, everything he has, in order to buy that field. Now you might think that a bit sneaky when you think about it. I mean, would you do that? Would you do that to your neighbour? If you stumbled across a fortune in your neighbour's backyard, would you go and buy his house and land without telling him? Isn't that a bit dishonest? Well, not really, because if the treasure belonged to that man who buried it in his backyard, then surely he would have dug it up long before he sold the house and the land. So this must be forgotten treasure, pure and simple. Treasure that's been buried and not remembered. And according to Jewish law, it's finders keepers. We say possession is nine-tenths of the law, but in first century Israel it was ten-tenths of the law. You found it, it's yours. And so when he went and sold everything he had to buy the field and claim the treasure, he wasn't doing anything dishonest at all. But note note his motive in doing that. He didn't do this just because he was able to. He didn't do it just because he wanted to. He did it because he must. He must have this treasure at all costs. And then there's the pearl merchant. Look at him, verse 46. When he found this priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Just think that one out. I wonder what his wife and family and the neighbours thought when he came home that weekend and put a for sale sign outside the front of his house and then started selling his contents, not just a car boot sale, but the car sale. Not just a garage sale, but the garage is for sale. The whole thing is for sale. See, this is a total re-evaluation of priorities because having this treasure takes over him. He must have it. There's this unmatched desire. He must have it. It becomes a consuming passion. And so Jesus is telling us that we must be so like that if we are to have him. It's not a matter of putting your hand up in a meeting or signing a decision card. It has to be that you are convicted that there is a treasure in Jesus so valuable, so important, so huge that it can only be found by having Jesus himself. Some will find out that by accident. Some will get there after a long search. Each has their own story. These men do. One is poor, the other is rich. One man is searching, the other is not. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's open to you all, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're searching for it or not, whether you're a labourer or a businessman, whether you stumble across the gospel or you've been searching it for all your life, you must 
have Jesus. C.S. Lewis once said, Jesus is either of all importance or no importance. One thing he cannot be is relatively important. Follow the logic of that? If Jesus is your everything, he can't be your something. If Jesus is of ultimate value, he can't be of some value. So let me ask, what is Jesus worth to you? Are you totally sold on him? Would you gladly give up everything if it came to that in order to have him? I think our problem is that we undervalue the message of the gospel and overvalue the things that won't last. Is that what you're doing this morning? Undervaluing the message of the gospel. Third, this unforeseen discovery which gives rise to an unmatched desire leads to an unconventional or radical decision. Both men make decisions which change the course of their lives. The merchant in his joy goes and sells everything that he has and buys the field. Did you notice that in his joy? He he did this because he was happy about it. Uh, The Christian life is meant to be a joy-filled life, which kind of begs the question, uh, why are there so many miserable Christians around? Why are we such a joyless lot? When we're no different from our pagan neighbours, just as discontent as they are, just grumbling about the same things that they do. Thank you. Where we complain about our circumstances and our general lot in life. And maybe the answer is that we've forgotten the secret of the kingdom. Having sold everything to have the most precious pearl in the world, we tend to pop it in the drawer and forget about it or reserve it for Sunday. We take our eyes off Jesus and we become preoccupied instead with earthly circumstances, including inflation. So we struggle and we strive for trinkets and trivia rather than treasure. Trinkets and trivia, rather than treasure. These two men made a radical decision, but they didn't make it grudgingly. They made it joyfully. And there was a sense of urgency about it as well, wasn't there? We gain that sense of urgency by noting how these parables are arranged in Matthew 13. They're not just thrown together haphazardly, but they're arranged in a particular way to make this point about the value of having and knowing and following Jesus. See how these two little parables are sandwiched between the wheat and the weeds on the one hand and the fishnet or the dragnet, as we'll see next week, on the other hand. Two parables about the final judgment and eternal separation. And these two little cameo pictures are placed in between these two wider-looking parables that give a sense of urgency to the parable. See, judgment for now is delayed. The wheat and the weeds are growing together. But at the end of the age, it says the angels will come in and separate the evil from the righteous. The day of reckoning is coming. 
And the real value of the gospel lies precisely in this, that to come to Jesus and belong to him is actually to be saved from the wrath that is to come. So that you don't have to go through life in fear of judgment. You don't have to go through life wondering what the final verdict about you for eternity is going to be. Because if you've trusted in Jesus, the verdict is already in. There is no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. If you've trusted in him, if you know him as Lord and Saviour, you know what the verdict is going to be on the last day. You don't have to go through life fearing the last day. I mean, how valuable is that? How much money would you give for that if it could be given? to know that you're eternally secure in Christ. Isn't it worth everything? Absolutely everything? Well, how to bring this home? Imagine if you could be on the Titanic that you were, with all its wealth and all the riches of those on board, and the unthinkable, the the impossible is happening. It's hit the iceberg and it's going down. A life jacket is now more valuable to you than a ton of gold. A floating device is more valuable to you than crystal chandeliers. A pool noodle is worth more than all your fine jewels because they can't save you. Suddenly, rescue is more important than riches. But the thing is, that's how it's always been. Do you realise that? The greatest need we all share in, the greatest need for all people, all of humanity, is to be rescued from the wrath that is to come and the wrath that is upon us. Or imagine that you're dangerously ill and the doctor tells you there's a medicine that can cure you but it's extremely expensive. You have to sell your house in order to get that medicine. Without it, there's no hope. But you probably need to work out whether you want to spend so much money on it. What are you going to do? In the light of eternity, what do cars matter? What do expensive houses matter? They look pale by comparison to the medicine. They're expendable. Give me the medicine or I die. To have Jesus is urgent and it's costly. Jesus told his disciples to count the cost. Henry Drummond once said, There is no entrance fee to the kingdom of heaven. But the annual subscription is everything. That's right, isn't it? That's what these parables are telling us. You can't buy your way into the kingdom of heaven. You pay nothing to get in. Jesus pays it all. He lived the life that you could not live. He died the death that you deserve to die. He pays it all. You pay nothing to come to Christ. It's all of grace, but it's going to cost you everything. Because grace is free, that doesn't make it cheap. Grace is free, 
It doesn't make it cheap. It's implied in both of these parables. It's true for both of these characters. They had to sell everything they had to get their hands on the treasure. You can't lay hold of Jesus when your hands are full of other things. You can't embrace him unless you're willing to let go of everything else that you're holding on to. So what's going to have priority in your life? Is it Jesus and his kingdom? We remember that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all the other things will be added to you as well. Don't worry about those things, Jesus said. This is what it means to follow Christ. You can't embrace Jesus if your arms are full of other things. Better one hand full of quietness, says Ecclesiastes, than both hands full with vexation and striving of spirit. You have to let go of everything else to lay hold of him. So that's why you need to count the cost and consider him so much more higher in your priorities so that everything else looks like they're not valuable anymore. That's a choice that Moses had to face. Moses? The writer to the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that at the age of 40, Moses, in the prime of his life, decided to follow Jesus by throwing in his lot with a disgraced and persecuted people of God and turning his back on the palace. This is what it says. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather than to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Hear this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for a reward. There were bucket loads of treasures in Egypt that Moses could have chosen. But the one thing about earthly treasures is you just can't take them with you. You have to leave them all behind. In a moment we're going to sing the words of John Newton. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. What was it that Jim Elliot said? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Is that how the matter sits with you this morning? Let's pray together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the pearl of great price and the buried treasure that was found and the wonderful immensely valuable message of the gospel. We remember the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, 
Yet he became poor for our sakes that we might become rich through his poverty. What treasures we have, what wonderful truths we know, what blessings we count. How can these things just become second rate? in our lives and minds and hearts. It's because we find ourselves attracted to so many other things, things of no value, things that glitter that are not gold, things that will not last. Please forgive us when our focus and our priority has been wrong and help us to remember that all the joys that we have in this life are designed to focus us forward to the greater joy when all will be known and the fullness of your grace revealed. Grant us these things that we might sing this hymn with real truth in our hearts. We thank you for the treasure of the gospel today. May we have everything are thrown aside in order that we might have it and what you promised to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.